hello everyone and welcome to the second week of our grown-up series. Uh, we are so excited to be starting this new series talking all about adulting. And, you know, I remember the moment that I realized I was an adult. And it wasn't when I graduated high school when I turned 18. It wasn't when I went off to England for school for a year. It wasn't when I traveled Europe by myself. It wasn't when I got a full-time job or when I started paying my own bills or when I moved out and bought a house. It was actually, I think, like a year and a half ago. And so I was living in my house for probably half a year at this point. And it's a Saturday morning, and I go down, and I'm going to go make breakfast. And something to know about me is I hate cooking. Like, it makes me so grumpy to just walk into the kitchen. My friends know this. They'll come over, and we'll be, like, having dinner together or something like that. The moment I start cooking, I just, like, I get so mad they have to take over. And so just walking to the kitchen, if there's not food already made for me, I'm grumpy. So I walk in, and there's nothing in my fridge. I have like some eggs and maybe like some expired milk and some moldy cheese and some cake from the night before. And so I go and I grab the eggs because I think this is what all I have for breakfast. I just have these eggs. And then I thought to myself, I wish I could just eat cake for breakfast. It'd be so good. And then I thought, why, why aren't I allowed to eat cake for breakfast? And I realized it's because, you know, parents, they drill into you, you're not allowed to have sweets for breakfast. And I realized my parents aren't here. They don't know if I eat cake for breakfast or not. And so I go and I take the cake and I eat the cake for breakfast, obviously. And then after that, I realized that I could buy chocolate milk if I wanted to, right? And I could go, I could buy pizza pops. I was so amazed that I could buy pizza pops. We were never allowed those as a kid. And then I went and I bought Captain Crunch and sugary cereals and all these other things that I wasn't allowed to eat as a kid. And I felt so grown up because I could choose my own food. And so this just like blew my mind. But then I realized why my parents didn't allow us to eat all this junk food. So I got gym membership and it all evened out. We're all good now. Uh, but we're in the series all about grown-ups, all about adulting. But what we're realizing is that it's not these, these uh, timelines in our life. It's not when we realize we can eat whatever food we want. It's not when we move out, it's not when we buy a car, it's not when we buy a house, it's not when we get married or when we have kids that we're actually an adult. It's these characteristics that we build. It's these pieces of our lives that we build into. That's what makes us grown up. And so last week, Zach, he started off the series. He talked about the church. He talked about how being a grown up, it's building into your local church. It's keeping the main thing the main thing. It's grabbing onto its vision and it's running with it. And this week, we're going to be talking about commitment. And so to start us off, we're going to open up to Judges 11. And who here knows the story of Jephthah? Anyone? Great. So if you're Christian or you're not Christian, we're all on the same page. None of you know the story of Jephthah. It's one of those stories that we don't learn about in Sunday school. It's one of those stories that's not really told that often. It's one of those stories that is skipped over because it's actually really confusing and doesn't always make sense. But we're going to dive into it today. So Judges 11... It's near the front of your Bible. Judges, they were the people that God used to take Israel out of rebellion. The Israel, they went through these patterns. They would be super rebellious. They'd walk away from God, so God would deliver them to their enemies. And then he would send them a judge to bring them out, to have victory over their enemies instead of defeat. And so God brings up this guy named Jephthah. And Jephthah, growing up, he had a really difficult childhood. He grew up in a household where he was the son of a prostitute. And so all of his father's other sons and daughters, in fact, the whole tribe, they all hated him. 
And so the moment that Jephthah was old enough, he fled to a different region because everyone was disowning him. And so he went to another region and he became a gang leader. And we don't know if he was, what kind of gang leader he was. We don't know anything about what he did or didn't do or any of that. But we know he must have been successful because in Judges 11, it tells us how the tribe leaders of his father's tribe, they came to him and they asked him to be their leader. He asked, they asked him to lead them in war. I know if I was Jephthah, I'd be like, wait, so you drove me away from my father's home and now you're begging me to come back. So you're like, you feel pretty powerful about that, right? So he's like, okay, beg. Tell me what I'm going to get out of this. And they say, we will make you the leader of our entire tribe if you come back. So he's like, okay, sure, I'll come back. And so we pick up in verse 29. And this is what it says. It's the start of the war. And it says, then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mitzvah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aor to the venicity of Minnith, as far as abel Karamin, thus Israel subdued Ammon. Then Jephthah returned to his home in Mitzvah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter, dancing to the sound of timbrels. She was an only child, except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and he cried, Oh no, my daughter, you have brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord that I cannot break. Oh, the lights went out again. <laughs> Rubbing that issue, sorry, just ignore that. Um, but how do you feel if you come home, you're all excited that your father has come on, you go out to greet him, and he's like, girl, you've devastated me. Like, wouldn't that make you feel awful? But she says, my father, you've given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you promised, now that the Lord has avenged you from your enemies, the Ammonites. But grant me this one request. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. Makes sense, right? You want to go weep with that. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months. And she went, with, went into the hills and wept because she would never marry. After the two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he had vowed, and she was a virgin. So this passage is often confuse, confusing because scholars are divided on the issue if she was actually sacrificed or not. Some believe that she was actually given as a burnt offering, which would have been entirely against what God had said in God's law at that time and what the people believed to be right. Well, others believe that she was actually just given to the temple. She was given um, in dedication to God's service, which would have meant that she would have been given to celibacy. And some of you are probably like, what's worse? You know, like sacrifice, celibacy, I don't know. I think that she was given to celibacy. Um, there's different arguments for that, but I'm not going to get into that because I don't think that's the point of this passage. I don't think that's why this passage was written. I don't think that's worth arguing about because I think that the whole point of this passage is that your life is shaped by your commitments. Jephthah and his daughter, they took his vow so seriously. And I think that most of us, we might be sitting here and we're wondering, you know, like, why did he keep the vow? Why did it matter so much? Why didn't he just go back on it? Even just dedicating the daughter to the temple, that would have ruined everything she thought her purpose would be. That would have taken away all of her dreams. If you would have gone to her when she was growing up and 
said, what do you want to be? She would have said, I want to be a mom. I want to be a wife. That's what she was meant to be. That's what women in those days grew up knowing they were going to become. And for Jephthah, he also gave up his dreams because the dreams of an elderly man, they would be to pass on their legacy. So the whole purpose of their lives was to build up this inheritance to be able to pass it on, and usually it was to a son, but if they didn't have any sons, then it would be on to the grandchildren. And so his daughter, he had one chance to pass on his legacy. He had one chance to pass on his inheritance. But by following through with his vow, following through on his commitment, he'd be giving this up. And so why did he do it? You know, why didn't he just, like, go around the back of the house where the barn was and wait for a sheep to come out? That would have been so much easier. Or why not say, like, actually, I met the second person to come out of my house. Like, wait for the mother-in-law. She just gets in the way anyways. We don't need her around. But he didn't. No one was asking that. No one was asking, why did he follow through with it? If anything, people would have been asking, why did he make it? Because in that culture, in the culture that the Bible was written in, it was common sense that if you made a vow, if you made a promise, if you made a commitment, you kept it. No backing out. So they would have asked, why would he have made it in the first place? But for us in this culture, you know, we don't just struggle with keeping commitments. We struggle to even make commitments, right? Like this is often seen in the dating world. In the dating world, guys, you're often picked on, and then if it's valid or not, I'm not here to say. But guys, or all of us, in the young adult world, we have such a hard time committing, right? Like, we'll date someone for years and years and years. We'll sleep with them. We'll move in with them. We'll do everything but make the vow, make the commitment to them. Or maybe this is more common in the Christian dating world, is that it's hard to even go on one date, right? We can't even commit to one date. And ladies, you're thinking amen to that. But it's not just dating, that we're bad at committing to. It's school, it's our jobs, it's our church, it's our family. For some reason, our culture has been marked, our generation has been marked by being bad at commitments. And so I was looking at some stats this past week and Forbes magazine, they talked a bit about millennials. They said 91% of millennials only plan to stay at their job for up to three years. 50% refuse to join any kind of political party and this often goes into joining any kind of religion. We're 90% more likely than older generations to rent a product than to buy it. And while, um, while divorce rates have gone down, it's only because millennials refuse to get married and it's estimated that only 70% of our generation will get married as opposed to 90% of the baby boomers. So the world is telling us that we're bad at commitments, right? Which we all know already. We know that we're bad at commitments, but why has this become what shapes our generation? Why has bad commitments been what marks us? And so I think there's three things. The first is that our words don't mean anything. I mean, how often do we add just joking to the end of something? You know, it's our way of we insult someone, and then we're like, oh, just kidding. It's a way to get at something that's on our mind out, but not actually offend the person. Or we'll be like, I literally died. And I'm like, no, you didn't. Because unless you experience a miraculous resurrection and live to tell the story, you did not literally die. Or one of my favorites, or the one that kind of annoys me the most, yet I probably also use the most, is when we say something like, that was the best thing ever. That was the best hamburger ever. Or it was, that was the, literally the best day of my life. I don't know why it bugs me so much, but I was in New York with my sister and some friends this past summer, and we were going down into the subway, and there was this couple there, and they were like clearly in love. I rule. Um, they were clearly in love. You can tell what I think of that. 
Um, and the, the guy says to the girl, this is literally the best day of my entire life. I can tell my friends there about to like gush over this because who doesn't want to be the best day of a guy's entire life, right? But so I'm thinking in my head, well, I'm not thinking, I actually say it. I say, that's probably not true. Because <laughs> I mean, we're in this stinky, smelly, overcrowded city. You're really going to tell me this is the best day of your entire life? I mean, you probably said that to your buddies last week when you were drunk at the bar or something. But that's the thing. We over-exaggerate, right? We overemphasize. We tell stories to sound way more exciting or way better than they actually were. And we say things, we make commitments that we never actually intend to keep. The second is that we are overcommitted. There's so many things that are just trying to take our attention. If you were to categorize it, I'd say that there's earthly things and there's heavenly things. You know, the earthly things are the things that only really matter when we're living, when we're actually on this earth, and after we die, they don't actually matter anymore. And then there's the eternal things, the things that matter beyond our own lives, that are actually hold so much significance. But the issue with us, the issue with so many millennials, is we fill our lives with so many earthly things. We fill our lives with all these things that really only matter if we're living on this earth, that when significant things, when eternal things, when things that actually matter, when they come in, we don't even have time to fill our lives because our lives are already so full. And so forget about fulfilling commitments. We can't even make commitments because we have no room for them. And then the third thing, simply put, is that we don't keep or make commitments because we have FOMO. And you all know what I'm talking about here. Maybe the better term actually is FOBO, which is the fear of better opportunities. And you all know what this is. So raise of hands. If every single time you're invited to an event on Facebook, you answer with yes right away. None of us do, right? Like, we either answer with maybe, and then we keep it that way until the day before, or we don't say anything until we actually realize that there's nothing else going on, and then we'll say yes like an hour before the event actually happens. Because we're scared that maybe, you know, something better is going to come along, that while well, our one friends are having this birthday party, Maybe our other friends are going to hang out that night, and the guy or the girl we like is going to be there. And so we just want to hold out for that, right? And this is seen in other areas, too. You know, we don't want to um, get really into our job. We don't want to do the best we can at our job, because what if a different job comes along? What if something better comes along, and then we would have wasted all of our time with that job? Or what if, you know, we don't sign up to serve somewhere, because what if our friends want to hang out that night? What if they make... Wednesday night's the new movie night. We don't want to miss out on that, so we don't sign up to serve. I don't know what yours is, but we all have these things that we don't want to miss out on. And so, well, we went from the fear of missing out now to the fear of better opportunities. Soon we're going to go to the fear of doing anything. Because while we don't want to commit to anything, we don't know what to commit to, so we don't commit to anything at all. So we don't make commitments because our words don't hold value. We're already overcommitted, and we're afraid of better opportunities. But why does it matter? Why is making commitments even so important in the first place? Why can't we just live on a whim and live spontaneously and just live these beautiful butterfly-like lives? Well, I think that commitments are so important because everything that we truly want our lives to become and everything that God wants our lives to become begins with commitment. Often we can become so frustrated with the process of life, right? Like we want to find, we want to have the product, we want to have the final product, but we don't want to have to go through the entire journey of it. So we want to become that great CEO. We want to become that brilliant politician, right? We want to become that masterful artist or that great athlete. 
Or maybe it's just the small things like we want a good marriage or we want a decent job or we want a meaningful community. But all of these things, they start with being committed to the little things. And I understand this frustration so well. And for me, my frustration is in my career. You know, I'm studying theology and I feel like I've been in school for decades. Well, I have. I feel like I've been in university for decades. Um, and so I'm so frustrated with where I am. And it's like I'm 24, and I know that's not old, so all you 30-year-olds, you can stop glaring at me. It's not that old. But I feel like I'm 24. I should be further along by now. I could be completed so much more by now. And if I look back on my life, if I reevaluate, I could have. Like, I could have graduated by now. Guys, I've gone through four Bible colleges, and I'm still on my first degree. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I finished the first one, kind of. It was just a cape and ray, but I dropped out twice. But, and then I dropped out because I always thought something better was going to come along. I'm like, there's a better degree for me. There's something that will equip me better. You know, maybe I don't even have to finish a degree. Maybe I can just drop out and I'll get a job and that will be enough. And I learned that that wasn't enough, so I had to go back to school. And now I'm trying again. But the, what I've learned is that if everything I want my life to become begins with being faithful in the small things. If I want a good career, I need to be faithful. I need to be committed to school. Or for some of us, it's being committed to our part-time job. If I want a really good marriage, I need to be committed to the person while I'm dating, and I need to show commitment to the other relationship areas in my life. If I want a good community, I need to show up to the insignificant things, the things that I don't think matter but might matter to another person. If I want to have a really great faith, a faith that's just wholly dependent on God, I need to actually be reading my Bible, and I actually need to be praying every single day. Because I think what God is saying is that if you want to be great in these big things, everything that you want for your life, everything I want for your life, it begins with starting small. Because when he can trust us with the small things, when we can say, when we can pass on our hurt, when we can say, what am I trying to say? <laughs> if we can keep our commitments even when it hurts, that's when God knows that he can trust us with the big things. And God says this in Psalm 15:1. He says it through David. And David asks, Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? And in verse 4, it says, those who keep an oath, even when it hurts, and does not change their mind. You know, going back to the story of Jephthah, he was one of the 12 people mentioned by name in Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11, it's a book that's in the New Testament and it's talking about all the people that had this amazing faith who lived in the Old Testament. And so Jephthah, he was one of the 12 people mentioned by name. And most of us don't even know his story, really, because we just moved past it. But I don't think that Jephthah's name is mentioned because he conquered his enemies. I don't think his name was mentioned because he was this amazing warrior or this great leader or anything like that. I think his name was mentioned because he knew what it was to keep a commitment even when it hurt. He didn't back out even though it was going to cost him everything that he valued most. And you know, you might be thinking, well, you know, I didn't make an oath to that person. I didn't put it in writing that I was going to show up there. You know, I didn't put my hand on the Bible and raise a hand and say, I promise too. But that's not the point. In Jesus' most powerful sermon in, on his ministry on earth, the Sermon on the Mount, is recorded in Matthew 5, and it says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's saying, you said yes that you would serve, show up to serve. You said that you wanted to be part of the church, then give to it. You said you wanted a great marriage, then sow into that. 
He's saying, you said that you were going to babysit your sister's kids. You babysit your sister's kids. You said you would work that day, then you work that day. Honor your yeses and watch how it impacts all the bigger things. And watch how it begins to shape you in a way that you could have never imagined becoming on your own. So if our commitments are so important and are what shape us, what commitments should we be focusing on? What are the commitments that should be shaping us? And the first is a commitment to God's people, a commitment to the church. If we're going to call ourselves Christians, we need to be committed to the church. And Zach talked about this last week, and it was a fantastic message. And you, if you missed it, I think we have it on podcasts. Yes. So you're going to want to go listen to it because it's absolutely brilliant. But he was saying that you, needed to, you need to be committed to a church community. You know, if we're not building into the vision of the church, if we're treating the church just like an extracurricular or this restaurant that we can jump around to one restaurant after the next, after the next, we're never going to truly understand who we were created to be. Because we weren't meant to be part of the church, we were meant to be the church. And so it's just, it's time for us to throw aside all of our excuses to not be part of the church anymore. Right? I feel like I've heard every excuse under the sun to not be part of the church, not to serve, not to give. You know, like, I'm too busy right now. I want to focus on school. I want to focus on my marriage. I just had a kid, and I need to take a break from it. I don't like to do what people tell me to do. You know what? No one actually asked me. You know what? I wouldn't actually be good at that anyways. I've heard all of these, and I don't know what your excuse is, if you even have one. And I'm not trying to guilt you into it, but what I am trying to say is that the church is not the very best it can be unless you are there. No one else has a combination of your skills and experiences, personality as you do. And if you don't show up, yeah, sure, some of the work's going to get done. But it's not going to be as God intended it to be. And the second commitment that should shape us is the commitments that we've already made. I once heard it said that every commitment is like a gift. So if we give our commitment, if we give, the, if we give you know, our skills or our time or our words to someone, we're giving a gift to them. So what happens if we need to take that back? You know, like, let's say uh, you made a commitment to your grandma that you're going to go hang out with her one night. But then you find out that your friend is in town, you haven't seen your friend for months, so you really want to see them. What do you do? And I'd say, have integrity when you make commitments, meaning to say that you're going to follow through. If you say you're going to follow through with something, follow through with it. But if you can't, treat the other person with integrity when you need to back out. So that could look like this. You go to your grandma and you say, Grandma, I gave you my commitment. I gave you this gift. But my friend is now coming into town and I haven't seen them for five months. Can I have that commitment back? I know when we treat people with respect, when we treat people like they really matter, like we still value the commitment we gave them, I think so often they're going to say, yeah, of course. Sure, and then you can make new plans or something like that. But that's just a way that we can show them that they still value that what you, they want from you, what they're going to receive from you, is still so valuable. And last of all, and the most important, is our commitment to God. You know, Jeff said he was so entirely committed to God that he refused to back out on his vow. And if it was good that he made his vow or not, I don't know. But he went through with it even though it hurt. And even though it was going to cost him everything. But Jeff said he gave us... He, is a testimony of how when we are committed to God, when we stay committed to God, how God is going to respond in return. You know, Jephthah, he gave up his legacy. He gave up the 
his, gave up his dream to pass on his inheritance. But while passing on his legacy through a grandchild, you know, it would have lasted a few hundred years in that culture. His legacy through keeping his commitment will last until this book no longer exists. Right? As long as this book is read, his story is going to be told. As long as this book is opened, Jephthah's legacy is going to last. How often do we give God our commitment? How often do we sacrifice our own dreams, our own wants, our own desires for God, and God gives us so much more back? Jephthah is the testimony of that. Jephthah is showing us just how amazing it is when we follow through on the commitments we made. And the story of Jephthah, it points us right to the story of Jesus. Because just as Jephthah, he was prepared to give up his only daughter, God was preparing to give up his only son. In fact, we read about this in the first book of the Bible, in the book of Genesis. It's God's very first promise. And it's a promise that is for humanity, and it's a promise that impacts all of humanity. But it actually wasn't directly to humanity, it was to Satan. And Satan, he, he tempted Adam and Eve to go and to disobey God. He tempted them to walk away from their commitment to God. And God, he's so angry, and he goes to Satan, and he curses him. And this is what he says. He says, what you have done carries great consequences. Now you are cursed more than the cattle or wild beasts. You will writhe on your belly forever, consuming the dust out of which man was made. I will make you and your brood enemies of the woman and all her children. The woman's child will stomp your head, and you will strike his heel. The moment that humanity walked away from God, God promised to get us back. God is saying, Satan, you may think you have won. You may think that you have had victory over my child, but you have no idea what's coming to you because I'm going to send a child that is going to destroy you. He's saying that you have no chance because when I make a promise, when I write down a word, when I say a word, it never fails. And this promise, it took thousands of years to actually complete. But the beautiful thing about the Bible is that it records the commitments of every single person that was a part of bringing forth God's promise and bringing it to completion. Because God wants to use us. He wants to use our commitments to the small things to bring about the big things. He wanted to use the commitments of every person in the Old Testament to bring up the commitment to set us free. And so God, he used Noah's commitment to continue God's work even though he was mocked. He used Abraham's commitment to trust God even when it didn't make sense. He used Joseph's commitment to obey God in the midst of the worst child. He used Moses' commitment to allow God to use his insecurities. He used Rahab's commitment to resist the sin of her people. He used David's commitment to humble himself and go back to God. He used Daniel's commitment to stand up for what he believed. He used Jonah's commitment to take God's word to the end of the earth. He used Esther's commitment to use her position to stand up for God's people. He used Mary's commitment to give birth to the child even though she was a virgin all with the purpose that led to Jesus' commitment to save us. And these people, they kept their commitments even when it hurt. They kept their commitment to God even when it didn't make sense. And it all led to Jesus' commitment to set us free. And when he was there, when he was about to die, he was begging God. He said, God, take this away from me. But he said, but not my will, but your will. And God's will, God's commitment 
that even hell could not make him break was to set us free. You know, that seems to be the theme of tonight, and that wasn't on purpose, but we sang about it earlier, and it's right from the scripture, who the Son sets free is free indeed. That's God's promise to you. If you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior, that is a result of God's promise to set you free. And every day that we walk with God, we are walking as a result of that promise. We are walking as a testimony of God's commitment to us. And if you haven't accepted Christ in your life, if you don't have a relationship with him, why not start today? You know, God's gift, it's it's free for us. When God sent his son, when God sacrificed his son, it was because he wanted us so badly. And all he asks is that we accept it. All he asks is that we commit to trusting our lives with him. So I want to invite you just to close your eyes for a moment. And you know we do this every week. And so if you've been here at all, this would become a habit. And the reason that we're going to do this, the reason that I'm going to send out this invitation is because we never want a week to go by. We never want an opportunity to be lost for someone to accept Christ. And so if you haven't accepted Christ, or maybe you did a long time ago, but you feel like you've maybe walked away from him, I'm going to just say a prayer right now. And if this is the prayer of your own heart, I just invite you to say it quietly. And if you want, you can raise your hand. And that's nothing for us. That's not so that we know who you are or anything. That's just an indication of your surrender. So I'm going to pray. And if you want, you can pray this in your own heart. Jesus, I'm sorry for trying to live my life without you. But today I recognize you as my Lord and Savior. And I want to accept your love and your free gift of grace that you have given me. I commit to trusting you. Amen. You can open your eyes. And if you made that commitment tonight, if you said those words tonight or whatever words were on your own heart we just want to celebrate with you it's so exciting yeah it's so exciting and so real quick I just want to tell you three things the first is tell someone about it tell someone maybe the person you came with come and tell me I would love to hear about it and just celebrate with you the second is to get a Bible. If you don't have your own, you need to be in that word every day because it is powerful. That's God's promise to you right there. And so if you don't have one, we have some at the info bar. You can grab one after the service. And the third is to get connected in a worship community or a church community. And we have a bunch here at Riverwood. We would love for you to join. Keep coming to the Ascent. This is a perfect place to start. But we just want to encourage you to keep journeying and keep asking questions. Keep just showing up and watch how God is going to work through you in incredible ways. I want to invite you all to stand, and we're just going to continue to worship. And as we continue to worship, we're going to be singing some powerful words about who Jesus is. And while we do it, let's just remember his amazing commitment to us and what he's done for us.